0: Welcome to another episode of Beyond Sermons, where we seek Jesus Christ beyond the pulpit. Today, uh, we have a guest. His name is Tom Kotowski. The title of our podcast for today is Possessing Science and Faith. And in this situation, uh, Tom is a scientist, a physicist, astrophysicist, all sorts of different titles. I can go on and on. I met Tom a few years ago in church, and um, we've had many, many discussions throughout the years. And I thought that it'd be a great opportunity for him to share some of his wisdom with you as well, too. So uh, I just want to welcome Tom Kotowski. How you doing, sir? My brother?
1: Thank you, Chris. Just pleased to be with you. And I just want to thank you for the work that you've been doing. And I think it's absolutely fantastic that you have this mission. And I believe the Lord is anointing you in this. So we praise His name.
0: Amen. Thank you. I definitely do feel a calling for this. There's been some confirmation on my end. Uh So I thank God for His encouragement as well, too. So we've been working on this podcast uh planning for quite a while. And I'm so glad that we're finally able to sit down and have a recording uh, with one another. Um So... Uh, If anything, it's really not about me. You're going to be the star of the show here, and I hope you're ready for it. (laughs) But what I'd like for you to do first is to just start to just share with the people, not your entire resume, which is very, very lengthy, but if you could give us some highlights of, you know, your career in science. You know, how did you become a man of science?
1: Well, I think in order to be able to understand the career, you need to know something about what led to that career. But first, I want to go ahead and praise the Lord for his blessings and his gifts and that we are created in his image because without being in his image, it would be impossible to understand uh, many things, uh, including the created universe. Uh, So let me talk about perhaps the motivation that led me to take this particular path. And I think The things that influenced me are very similar to what other people got into science. And one of the early things at an early age, I was interested in the fundamental nature of the universe and our creation. And I remember my uncle had a book in his library, and it was by Kant's Critique of Pure Reason. And I was only about 10 years old, and I read it, and I did not fully understand it. But the important thing here is it tells you something about me, is that I was really, in a certain sense, driven to be able to try at a very early age to be able to understand the nature of God's uh, universe. And some other early things is I had an early interest in electronics and physics. And this was just before I got in high school.
0: Sound like a nerd. Pardon me? You sound like a nerd. <laughs> Partially. <laughs>
1: but I also got into the physical end of things, built electronic instruments, things that were called atom smashers, got industrial X ray transformers, and um, just uh, was interested in actually doing things. And uh, one of the limitations I had is oftentimes the lights would dim in the house when I was powering up one of my experiments. And I was always felt like I was limited because we had a limited number of power coming into the house in terms of the things I I, I wanted to do. So, um, and I think as a young person, there's almost, I think the Lord gives us a path that we're supposed to go on. And because I felt like I was in a certain sense um, driven or destined to be able to get into this uh, particular uh, career. So that was just a very, very brief summary of perhaps some of the early motivation that I had. And then the next big step um, is getting into university and getting into the study of that. And one of the things is that uh, it's, uh, one of the things that helps you get in the doorway of the place in the career for uh, interviews. it helps to come from a um, good university, and I was blessed in having University of Wisconsin.
0: And yeah, great school.
1: 19 Nobel Prize uh, winners, and um, some of the inspirations, two of my heroes, John Bardeen, who got the patent and Nobel Prize for inventing a transistor, and Jack Kilby, Nobel Prize for inventing integrated circuit. They came from uh, UW. And right. so they were some of my heroes. Um, nice. But anyways, um, so got through uh, uh, with my degrees and the uh, math and physics, and also some engineering. I had interest in engineering. I took some reading courses in the uh, electrical engineering courses that were really very analytical and and uh, uh, mathematical. So. Uh, I had my master's degree and I was not interested in going or having a career in academia. What I wanted to do is be able to use my math and physics really to be able to develop things, use it to develop things or technology that benefits other people. And so I wanted the combination of using that and actually working in doing R&D basically and uh, one other thing I should reflect on in going to university and in studying something like physics and math, where you are studying some of the works of some of the greatest minds in the last 400 years. In doing that, I could feel my brain being expanded by having to push myself and really stretch myself to be able to understand um, the works and. and uh, a lot of times, mostly in math, perhaps. Well, and electrodynamics, the application of called partial differential equations to physics, but um, those sort of things expanded my mind. And that was one of the results of uh, my uh, my education. So I finished my education and I was 23 and I had a newly minted master's degree in physics. So, I started to find a place to work, and I was fortunate in being um, getting into at that time was called AC electronics and at that time uh, which was nineteen sixty nine we're or, or before that' sixty six actually we're still in development um of the Well, for AC Electronics, they developed the computer and inertial guidance system for the lunar excursion module. And I had the opportunity to start as a project engineer in working in the uh, aspects of failure analysis and reliability, mostly of integrated um, circuits. And um, so that was a great opportunity. And a lot of the people who uh, worked in the Apollo program uh, they would tell you that in their career that they had done many great things, but that the things they still looked back and they thought was one of the greatest things they ever worked on was the Apollo project, getting a man to the uh the moon and back and i, I had that same sort of experience. I worked on a number of things, but that was probably because it was this huge yes question.
0: Yeah, so hold on the Apollo uh, so uh man landing on the moon. it's real, it's not fake
1: definitely uh i can tell you um that um we put things there and as a matter of fact we still have some things that are on the surface of the moon that were left behind wow that we had worked on so yeah yes yeah i mean if you
0: don't mind this is a side note here i'm just curious uh what kind of stuff did we leave back on the moon
1: uh well the the lunar excursion module when it took off there was a part of the um of it that was left behind because that would have j- just been extra weight. Like the, the legs in which it lands, those oh, okay. the radius doesn't need them because when it's coming back to the Earth, it's falling through the atmosphere and then it just has a huge parachute and it falls down. Don't have an atmosphere on uh, the moon so you can't use a, paras- uh, a parachute.
0: Got you, got you. All right, yeah, that was just something I was just very curious about. I mean, this is an illustrative career. And then, of course, you know, being able to work on the Apollo, that that's such a career-defining moment, you know. Um, that had to have been a very, very, very proud moment uh, for not only for you, but, you know, for all the other scientists and physicists and engineers that came together to pull off such a great feat back then. You know, still de- definitely very much appreciated today. I'm sure Elon Musk appreciate what you guys do, too. Well, sure
1: Like, Iconic event because um, there have only been twelve people who've walked on the moon, and there hasn't been any, anybody there for the last fifty plus years.
0: Wow, um, that long. So,
1: yeah. Um,
0: wow. Yeah, wow. That that is that's definitely quite a feat. Uh, definitely going to be repeated again. Uh, perhaps uh, we may land on Mars. Uh, who knows? I I don't know what the the game plan is for that. Um, me personally, that's not something I lose sleep over. Um, but yeah, I think it's amazing that, you know, you've have all this career experience with, especially with, um, you know, earth and space, you know, being able to venture beyond the atmosphere and to go into outer space, maybe not deep space at, per se, but to be able to go out into out, outer space. And, you know, I'm curious now, um, uh, when working on the Apollo space program or, um, were you, also exercising faith then um you know how did this coincide with your faith uh, at that point in time was it there were you a christian back then perhaps maybe later on in life what's the intersection
1: well this is the trajectory of my um walk to the lord and i was raised a Roman catholic mm-hmm. and when i got into uh college that was the time and before that i had read about what were so called the bad popes mm. and in catholicism the pope is supposed to be infallible yeah and so learning about those things there's an inconsistency there and so um i rejected catholicism because clearly there were some things there that were not in alignment with uh, uh, what one not expect of a, um, something that's spiritual, something that was connected to God. Right. Because um, uh, So then I made the erroneous assumption that Catholicism was the same thing as Christianity.
0: And <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> so in my mind,
1: I rejected Christianity in my ignorance.
0: Sure, because sure. Because
1: was brought up in the Catholic church, but one of the things you're told that if you're not a Catholic, you're going to hell Right. And uh, so if you're not a Catholic, you know, what other option is there? Right. Yeah. And, uh, but there was still a place in me, uh, this great big hole that needed to be filled by something spiritual. Yeah. So that being the case, I'd always continue to seek something that was spiritual Right. and none of it really seems real or it, did not reflect many aspects of, of reality, and then it so happened that um, I got reintroduced to Christianity when I was uh, in my late twenties, mm-hmm. and I I then learned that there is a difference between Catholicism and uh, um, well the Protestant movement as such. Um, right. Going back to the, the Bible and the, there is the Latin term, the Bible only that was used in the, the Reformation to imply that uh, that is the ultimate authority.
0: Right. right. So
1: anyways, I, I discovered that. And then I didn't have any problems with having any sort of incompatibilities between Christianity and uh, and science. And there are a number of reasons for that, but maybe we'll get into that a little later because it's... Yeah, yeah, so
0: before we, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but before we get too deep into it, you know, I mean, um, you know, I went to Catholic school for a couple of years, but the thing is I was already in church and, you know, a Christian family and so forth, so never really... Uh, found myself gravitating towards Catholic beliefs uh, in third and fourth grade is when I attended a Catholic school. And then later on in college, I took a philosophy course that was taught by a Catholic professor. Um, I noticed that the Catholic professor would sort of inject some of his Catholicism and some of the philosophical teachings. And I remember one time I had to call him out and you know, talk about, you know, some of the influences and perhaps some of the biases that he was expressing in some of his philosophical teachings and so forth, which leads me to um, a particular discussion that I'd like to have before we get too deep into a whole bunch of other topics, which is talking about the foundational rules of discussion and the nature of truth. Now, this sounds like a very, very deep, deep, deep topic, you know, but um, one of the things that um, I was hoping to be able to dispel or not dispel, but talk about highlight a little bit is maybe some philosophical fallacies or, you know, some of the other um, aspects or recipes to the nature of truth. Is there something that you can just share with us as far as like maybe some of the foundational rules of discussion, not only with uh, faith, but also with science and in particular for today's discussion, the intersection of the two?
1: Yes, and uh, when I taught college physics, one of the things I would do on the first day of class is I would go ahead and ask my students one of the, what I would um, present as one of the uh, most important questions in life. And that is how do you determine if something is true or false? And that is a huge issue most people do not give that any thought as mm-hmm. to how you would determine if something is false. And in physics, there's a very famous quote by, um, fellow by a physicist by the name of, of Feynman. And the quote is that the first principle is you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool.
0: Mm, interesting quote.
1: Uh, and certainly, if, if one is in uh, science, or even if one is in development, let's take the case of development. If you're working on a project, for example, that's an engine control system or a safety system, if there's the smallest error over there, it may result in lost life. So you and everybody in your team, they have to be very concerned about not making any mistakes about getting things Correct. So there's there, and in physics itself, you want to be able to discover um, uh, the truth. So that's very foundational. But to get back to the question that I asked, um, the answer to that is, and this is philosophical, and it's some based on some philosophical principles. But it's the basically, if something is false, it is inconsistent there are inconsistencies. And a practical example of this is the police. When they interrogate somebody, they try to take a look at the story and they try to look at things that are inconsistent. If they find inconsistencies in the story, then they're pretty much convinced that there's some other things that are going on over here and and that uh, these things cannot not be true. So that is consistency in my mind is a way to distinguish something that is true from false. If you have something, it is not consistent, then it is probably not true.
0: Okay, gotcha. Now you have
1: to make exceptions to that, the things that people say, um, because people say a lot of things that are inconsistent because they have different points of view and so forth. But I'm talking about establishing uh, truths such as a truth about science, truth about uh, religion, or uh, some other issues that can come up that in a certain sense are verifiable. Yeah. Um, and one of the great things about Christianity is that it, it invites you to test it. And that is true. It's been heavily no scrutinized. Other religion in which that is so, and there's no other religion in which truth plays such a, a, a central role in it. And, you know, you go back to the Old Testament and the Old Testament, um, well, if if you do a a search of the Bible, the word truth appears 150 times. Most of the time um, it is in John and uh, like 37 of those times um, it's uh, it's in John. But even going back um, in Psalms, which is the next area in which there's a truth is greatest, you know, send forth your light and your truth. So you will guide me talking right. about the Lord. Um, and interestingly, uh, Jerusalem is in Psalms is, well, actually Zachariah is, is referred to as um, the city of truth. Mm. Um, and then in John, the law is given by Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus, the Messiah, and we're to worship God uh, in spirit uh, and in truth, and Jesus, when he spoke very frequently, he would say, verily, verily, which in a certain sense means this is true, this is true, and that was something that he said many, many, many times, verily, verily, such and such, such and such, so truth has a very central role in Christianity, and yeah. it's used in so many things. We we're told to sanctify ourselves in truth. Uh, in the word is truth, but you know, 150 um verses in the Bible that uh, that talk about talk about Jesus as fruit. Yeah. And then one of the things that's also very uh, impressive to me is the start of John, where Jesus is referred to as the Logos. And there again, you're getting back to something um. Logos was a philosophical term in, um, uh, it started with the Greeks, okay, and okay. It really has to do with uh, getting at the truth, getting at things that have to do with creation, right? So, um, talking about what is truth, how you determine it, that it has to be something that is uh, consistent, and that Christianity itself, one of its great strengths is that uh, it invites truth. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it is so interwoven, and it so accentuates the idea of truth. Right. Um, so that um, um, those are the well, the definition of truth. I always want to get established before we have any sort of a conversation, because then that allows you to have a tool to discover or investigate what is false.
0: Right. Okay, cool. Well, thank you very much for laying that groundwork and sharing that as well, too. Um, Let's see if we can build upon that um, for the rest of uh, this podcast here. So uh, speaking of truth, you, you know, you have God, you know, as a man of science and a man of faith, you have God, you have truth, but you also have physics and, you know, modern science, as modern as you'd like to call it. Um, you know, how do you balance the three or how did the three congeal, uh, to, um, how do they all work together? Let's put it that way.
1: Well, let's, let's talk about God's revelation. And we know that in one sense, there are two books that God gave us that told us about himself. The first book is the book of creation.
0: The book of creation. Sounds like you're talking about Genesis, right?
1: Uh, Well, that he created all things. All right. He created all things. All of creation obeys his laws. And general revelation, uh, you know, we're told that the heavens declare the glory of God. Mm -hmm. And so we can understand the nature of God by that. And one of the other things here is the explanation of how we can understand these things. How is it that we have an understanding of that? And yeah. how one answer to that is that we are made in the image and likeness of God. Mm-hmm. And we have the mind of God. And he has given us the mind because we're his image to be able to understand the things that he created. Okay. to Understand the laws that, uh, that he created. And so you know, though, those are some of the things that relate science and religion. And of course, uh, back before the 17th century, there were so many scientists who studied uh, science to be able to determine or find out more about the nature of God
0: right. by
1: looking at general revelation, by looking at his laws, and just uh, all the great thinkers up through Newton Um, And then what happened was Newton established this idea that the universe um, has existed for all time. It's infinite and that it's a great machine and knowing Newtonian physics and some other things, we then understood how the universe worked. And if you understand the universe worked and if there was no creation, it was there forever, There's, you don't need God if you have that mindset. And so that was the case for hundreds of years. Then what happened at the beginning of the last century and has been continuing uh, through this time, we found out that there is evidence that there was a creation and that it was from nothing, ex nihilo, um, that um, we find remnants of things in the past that speak of um, things in the past that uh, speak of a a date of creation. And one of the first things that happened was um, this uh, Edwin Hubble, when they had the first large telescope, he discovered that Hubble's law, and that is the further you look out in the space, the faster things are going and moving away from you. And so if you project that backwards in time, that pushes everything back to a point, to a moment of creation. And so the universe was created. And that has been something that has not really been, that was not used to negate the previous worldview that you didn't need God because the universe was not created. So that was one of the things, but that never got corrected. So that is one of the errors that was made in in a persistent worldview. Um, And so, and one of the other things is, once again, this idea of the um, uh, mathematics. How do we, how can mathematics describe things? Uh, Why is that possible? And once again, knowing that we are made in the image and likeness of God explains how we can know those things.
0: This concludes another edition of Beyond Sermons where we seek Jesus Christ beyond the pulpit. If you were blessed by this podcast, please rate and subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. God bless.